0: Welcome to episode 36 of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast. And today we'll talk about how to build a content creation machine. Let's go. Hi all. My name is Julius. I'm a senior researcher at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology, and I'm also the founder of the Signcom X Media Agency, which supports universities and research organisations with their digital communications strategies, format development, and content creation. Today we talk about how to build a content creation machine. But before we start right into that, just a little bit of a heads up: in two weeks there will be an episode with Charlotte Ballard, who is a science communicator at Utrecht University and more specifically at Copernicus Institute for Sustainable Development. And Charlotte's and my paths have crossed several times and I was always amazed by her work and how she proactively gets to talk to researchers and, and activates them to be better science communicators. So in two weeks, we'll have her on the podcast. And if it all works well, then in four weeks, we'll have Patrick Honika on the, on the podcast, who is a C-level communicator with the University of Darmstadt. And that is a development that has just taken place in Germany in the last month, maybe in the last one or two years, that actually communicators get on the boards of large universities they are not called boards but presidiums but it's the same game there so i'm really looking forward to have patrick also on the podcast and talk to him about how can you actually build a science communication department of the future and what these science communication departments need to be able to do. So I'm looking really forward to actually have this conversation with him. So these are the next two episodes in two weeks and in four weeks, and I'm looking forward to have them here and I'm looking forward to have you people who are listening to this right now also um, joining me for these sessions. So let's start in how to build a content creation machine. The most direct way to make sure that your research has impact is to communicate it through social media, I think, because The reason is that this is the cheapest way of how to attract attention. You could also go, I don't know, stand in the pedestrian zone or in a mall and find one or two people who might be interested in your topics. But with social media and including podcasts, it is a much more efficient way to actually attract attention and that's because it's called in the in the genre it's called underpriced attention. Because if you stand a whole day in a mall or in a pedestrian zone, you spend a whole day, and people can actually not really know that you are there. You might have informed some people, but it is just way easier on social media. And the good thing with social media is that a lot of people use social media and there's actually ways of how people can actually look for specific content when you think about hashtags, for example, and this is something that you don't have anywhere else in the offline world. I'm not saying that science communication in the offline world is not important. Yes, it is, it is very important. It is great because you can have really face-to-face interactions, but ignoring social media is just not clever because it gives you a lot of opportunity to Get content out there for people to find you and like that, build relationships with you. And then you might not even only find them in the online world, but maybe when you do go on a tour or you have an exhibition or you go on a conference or whatever it is, then you actually meet people also in the offline world. So I think playing it online, offline together is the most and best way to do it. But we need to think about how we can actually create content at scale online so that actually the likelihood or the probability that you are found, you can be a researcher, can be a university, can be a research organization. So you need to make sure that you can be found. And the way to do that is actually to create content at scale. And I have the feeling I talk about it all the time, but if you haven't heard it, now you've heard it, I think it is most important for single researchers to build brand and to make their research heard as well as for universities and research organizations to build brand and make their research help, to create content at scale and that's why we talk about today how to actually yeah build a content creation machine because if we look at it we see that social media has been used a lot by companies um, to create brand and to create awareness but in companies there's very often it's yeah it's not that easy to actually ...create content because what they do, they have their operations and they have their one or two products, depending on what kind of company it is. But when you look at universities and research organizations, they actually have a major advantage. And that is that they are content gold mines. You can literally go to any of the researchers' offices in your university or your uh, your research organization. And since most of these researchers actually do topics that will eventually shape the future of our societies... There is so much stuff that you can actually create content around. And then obviously it comes to making sure, okay, to see okay, what kind of strategy you want to put in place for what do you want to be known, who of these researchers maybe wants to create content or support you or do it to, with, together with you. As I always say, not everyone has to go and create content. It is a very personal decision, but we as science communicators or the people who work in a science communication department, it's your Task to empower researchers to actually make their knowledge available. So, while there is so much content p- potential available in research organizations, the question is how do you create systems that allow you to create content at scale, aka create a content creation machine? And this is the question that this episode will answer. So, let's go. So why is content actually important when it comes to science communication and brand building? And why is it key to create content at scale? Whatever you want to accomplish in life, you will need to have the attention of the group of people that will help you to do so first. For example, if you want to sell sneakers, you need the attention of the people who are interested in sneakers. If you want to run for office, or if you want to be a well-booked speaker, you need the attention of your potential voters or your potential clients for public speaking, respectively. The same goes for scientific results. If you do not have the attention of the people who might be interested in the research topics done at your institute or done by you, for example, so that they use it to shape policies or to build applications, tech products, whatever it is, or just to better understand the world around them, then they will not know that you exist if you don't have their attention. They will neither learn from you nor reach out to you if they have a challenge that you could potentially help them with. So the first key question that needs to be answered when we think about creating a content creation machine is where's the attention of your target group? Whom do you want to reach and how do they consume content? What do they do in their normal days? So over the last years when we think about it internet penetration has gone up by the day. Almost everyone at least yeah in western countries right now until now has access to the internet. It's not the youngsters anymore. It's everyone. My parents use internet all the time. My dad is a maniac and has his iPhone with him all the time. So the access to internet and the collective hours that we actually spend on the internet and online altogether is increasing daily. And this is where the attention is. When I do my keynote, sometimes I use a report that was just uh, published in January by a company called App Annie. I think they changed the name now, but it doesn't really matter. And there you can really see how internet penetration is coming about all around the globe. So I think I'll put it this study in the um, in the show notes. You can find it there. And what they say is that in the 10 top mobile markets, so it's not every market on the planet, but there's in the 10 markets with most mobile penetration, what you see is that one out of 3 hours that people are awake, they use their phones, which is crazy. Think about it. So that means if you go if, I don't know, if you're in the bus commuting to your work or wherever you study, you have a podcast maybe on or you flick through Instagram or to Twitter or whatever it is, or you look at web pages of, of media outlets, whatever it is. So, or, and when you cook, you have your, your phone is doing something or whenever you do any other thing, when you drive, whatever. So it's like one out of three hours, which accumulates to 4.8 hours in a whole day. We use our phones or in these 10 markets and that will increase continuously and everyone in the long run will consume more content on the phone. So it's super important that whatever you do, create content that is consumable on the phone, okay? And yes, obviously, people don't always just consume content. People still do other things like they take care of their children, they go out for dinner, they go to the gym, But these are hard places for us to get them. These are hard places for us to start interacting with them. So the easiest way to actually interact with people at at scale, when I talk about this, I never talk about like your five neighbors or my five neighbors, I talk at people at scale. Look at influencers who have tens of of thousands of followers. These people you would have never been able to contact when you stand in the pedestrian zone or when you stand in a mall. But the best way then if you don't want to stand in pedestrian zones or in malls, is to create content and distribute content at scale that provides your target group with value. Because people don't come to you or to me because they like you or me. They come to you or me because they learn something. You are listening to this podcast, hopefully, because you learn something. (laughs) And over time, you might even like the person that you're listening to, that does not need to be me, but someone else as well. So, and then you come because you you like this person, and this person is kind of part of your day-to-day routine or your weekly routine or whatever it is. But in the beginning, you come because you want to learn something, because that helps you to overcome your challenges. And if you manage that, then something beautiful will happen, and that is that you build relationships, that the people who consume your content build relationships with you. And that is the best thing that can happen to you, because then they tell their friends or their colleagues about you and then your audience will grow over time. And again, it's never a sprint, it's always a marathon. For example, if you do a podcast, don't worry about the first 10 episodes, they should be fine, but no one starts listening in the first 10 episodes. People come to a podcast when they see, oh, this podcast has been around for some time, it has created content reliably over the last one and a half years, for example, coming out every week, coming out every second week, because then people know that you mean this. And if people know that you mean this, then they will come back because I don't know what this is, but if people realize you mean this, that makes you attractive, okay? So this idea altogether to create content at scale that delivers value to your target group that so that they can overcome their challenges and that they can get better or that they just understand the systems and the environments they're in That's called a content marketing strategy. And I think that every research organization and every university actually needs to think about a content marketing strategy and implementing that. And the question is then, how can you actually create content and who are your target groups? But then you make content that helps them. Why, if you go on YouTube, uh, the most watched videos always start with one word. And that is how. How to XXX. How to fix my bike. How to fix my car. How to... I don't know make great instagram posts it's always these how to things that get a lot of visibility and if you manage to make videos that for example use how to or when you think in this how to way then people might come to you because they're interested in learning from you because these how to content pieces will help them doing something okay so i think that this content marketing strategy which was first adopted by business, which is, it's a marketing strategy, let's be clear. Um, <laughs> then, when it is adapted a little bit to the academic sphere, then it can actually also work for universities and for research organizations. So, let's have a look in the next part how that could work. So, when we sit in our offices as communicators, we always think, okay, what, what what's the next thing that I can do? And it is quite stressful and unfulfilling when we just come to the office every morning and we think, ah, we have to create content now. (laughs) Um, It has its challenges. And if we have this uh, approach, then that might wear us us out quite quickly. Instead of thinking of this day-to-day approach of like, okay, I come to the office and I have to create content now, I want to give you an idea that helps you creating content at scale and actually build this content creation machine. It is called repurposing. Repurposing means that content is created in one format and then reused in one or two or three or infinitive other different formats somewhere else. For example, if you have a researcher talking about a new finding on video, you can post-produce that video alone and that's it and you post it somewhere or you enter the repurposing game. For example, Once you posted that video, you can merge it with other short videos to make a review video about all major findings at your institute in the last year. Or you could be inspired by that one video and have a copywriter also produce a blog post about the topic covered in that video. These are already two ways of how you can repurpose a single piece of content. If you repurpose content, you don't have to think about new content every day, but you make use of what is already there. And to be complete, there are two different types of repurposing. One is called direct repurposing and one is called indirect repurposing. Direct repurposing means that content is created in, in one format and repurposed in the same format. Take the example of the video that we just had. The short video of a research result is repurposed into another video. That is direct repurposing. One video, second video. For indirect repurposing, We take the second example. Here, the initial video piece is repurposed into a written piece of content. You remember, I talked about a blog post that has been written about the content of the video. The beauty of repurposing is that you only have to create a limited amount of initial content that will allow you to create content at scale. So, after introducing you to this idea of repurposing, let's now explore how repurposing helps you to create a content creation machine. So far, the idea of content and repurposed content was introduced. From now on, the initial content will be called pillar content, and the content derived from the initial content will be called repurposed content. But there's other terms. For example, uh, uh, pillar content can also be called primary content and uh, hero content. And the derived content can also be called secondary content. But for this, let's stay with pillar content and repurposed content. The key for setting up a content creation machine is to create a limited number of pillar-content formats and later analyze, chop up, redistribute, repurpose pieces of that initial pillar-content piece. To do so, one first needs a rich pillar-content format. That could be, for example, a recorded talk, a video-recorded podcast a fireside chat or a press conference of a researcher at your university or research organization. Let's let's give a good example. So let us take a podcast that is recorded with video. Remember, the aim is to create as many derived pieces of content as possible that create value to your target group. In the following you will see how the content machine unfolds. And I'll always say the accumulated number of pieces of content created afterwards. You will understand that in a second. You'll you'll get it in a second. First, let's start. You post-produce the video file and you turn it into a YouTube video. So you remember we did a video podcast and the first thing we do is to post-produce the video and turn it into a YouTube video. Okay, so that's one piece of content. Then you take the audio track from the pillar video and turn it into a podcast. That's a second piece of content. So we are on two pieces of content now. Now you analyze the video for when the researcher has said something smart and all researchers say something smart because researchers are smart people. Well, most of them. (laughs) So you chop up the video and create let's say 12 short videos out of it and you post produce them and share eight of them on twitter so we are at 10 pieces seven of them of linkedin on linkedin so we are at 17 pieces and five on instagram so we are at 22 pieces and three of them on tiktok so we are at 25 pieces of content out of this one initial pillar piece of content yeah so 25 repurposed pieces out of one main pillar piece but when you do that you always beware that they need to be native to the platforms. Yeah. So remember these short form videos that that we've been talking about mostly now, fit into the platform, the format, the style, and the pace of where you wanna post them. Pieces of content on TikTok are always faster than on Twitter, for example, or maybe even on Instagram. So make sure to do that. And people don't have to talk faster, but just cut them up in a way that the words come out really quickly. Yeah, and whatever you do when you ever do short video content, always put subtitles under it because there's lots of people who consume social media without having sound on. And if you don't put subtitles on it, then you will lose these people. And there's lots of uh, um, opportunities to put subtitles on. Um, AI has been getting smarter and smarter. Also, when you produce your content just on your phone, There's quite a number of good apps. And if you want to know one or two of them, just contact me on on Twitter or contact me on LinkedIn. I don't want to make commercials here. But if you want to know, just contact me. I'll send you some links. All right. So now we've talked about the video content and we've reached 25 pieces of content. Now, let's say that you also have a copywriter in your department. And this copywriter creates two blog posts out of the initial podcast episode and you post them on your universities or your research organization's blog and on LinkedIn, yeah? So that's 27 pieces of content. That's two more now. Now you have a team that tweets a a post on LinkedIn about the YouTube video, the podcast episode, and the two blog posts twice, each promoting it from different angles, yeah? Then you're not on 27 uh, pieces anymore, but we're now on 35. And just like that, you have turned one piece of content into 35 pieces of content. Do this every week. So create one piece of pillar content every week and create 35 pieces a week or maybe even more. And then you have the content creation machine running. Do this for two years and you know what? Good things will happen. (laughs) So, But I know thinking about the content creation machine is way easier than actually putting it into action. And yes, the number 35 can be quite overwhelming. And even though I want you to create as many opportunities for curious people to find you, I'm aware that creating 35 pieces of content per week is quite some work. But let me share two thoughts on that that might make it easier for you to get actually into the game. First, you're not alone. Seldomly, there's only one person in the communication department. Yes, sometimes it is, but you know, be realistic about what you can do. And even though 35 pieces of content can be an overwhelming number, be sure to get help. Um, and to support to do it and if you're just alone, then don't worry. I just want to get you into this mindset yeah And 35 is just a just an orientation. You can be proud if you do 15 or 20, but actually if you're really good at it, if you have two, three, four five, seven, eight people, you don't do 35 pieces of content a week, but you do 35 pieces of content a day. yeah it sounds crazy, but it's very possible. It, you just need to have the right, people in place, and you, they need to work in processes that are very, very efficient. More is always better, but it is really key to not feel overwhelmed and to keep a good minimal level of quality so that a piece of content is not counterproductive to nurture your audience and to build brand. Yeah. So if you create 200 pieces of content, they're all, let's say, ambiguous, mediocre, or just not good, then that's not going to help. Yeah? You need this basic minimum level of quality that you aim for, and then you try to make more and the good thing is also you can be easy on yourself and don't judge yourself because over time you will get better because if you start you may not have to aim at 35 a week but maybe do 10 but then say okay within half a year we want to be better we want to be more efficient we want to ha- be more in the groove and have processes implemented and then you keep that number increasing yeah? so that over time you get better and furthermore I don't really mind if it's 17, 21, 35, or 100 pieces of content a week. What I care about is that you get into this mindset of content creation because it is really a mindset. And what's funny is that you actually, when you try to get better at it, you learn that you see content everywhere. If you go to your university or your research organization, you just look around or you talk to people, then pop, 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 you will have more ideas of what you can actually create content around. And these could be all different types of content. Yes, you can follow this content creation machine that I just suggested to you, making pillar content and then repurpose all that content. But it's super okay to just go around and you know post about conferences, post about papers that were published, post about reports that were published, post about that you're on a strategy day with your department today. These are all... They'll be a piece of content because they all nurture different needs. We all are interested in learning. We all interested in getting better at overcoming our challenges, but we're all also interested in learning how a research organization looks like. Just imagine that there's somebody who might be thinking of applying at your place. Then it might be good to show that you're a cool crowd of people. And these people might not just be interested in, okay, another research paper that was published, but they might be interested in seeing what kind of people are there, how do they interact with each other. So all that stuff is also valuable content that you can create. Alrighty, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope this brought you a little bit of value and I would be super appreciative if you would connect on LinkedIn or on Twitter. You know it's always my name, Julius Wesche, and I would Be even more psyched if you would give this podcast a five stars uh, rating on Spotify or on iTunes. I hope you have two good weeks. Enjoy the summer. All the best to you and take care and uh, see you in two weeks again. Bye bye.